I find it fascinating um, the way you mix the present with the past. And uh, Travels with Charlie is a, a vivid memory. And uh, we now have Travels with George. I should tell you, when we're talking with Nathaniel Philbrick, historian, uh, writer whose Travels with jo George, we're talking about George Washington. Uh, and I even love that cover photo or the picture with uh, the, uh, uh, the the eyes that we all know, Washington, in the in the mirror there, as if he was driving a car. Um, was that your idea? Or uh, is that no, the publisher? It was, uh, it was the art director's idea. Very and good. initially, uh, you know, people were like, whoa. Uh, I, and I just said, this is it. This is yeah. it. exactly how it felt. You know, I was out there in a car with my wife and, and our, our uh, Melissa and our dog, Dora. And uh, we were following Washington's travels as president. She had the diary uh, open in her lap. And it felt at all sorts of times where, you know, George was back there with Dora, um, you know, <laughs> watching us, presiding over us. <laughs> the idea that George, we should tell folks just uh, the, the setup here. Uh, Washington took off, uh, what, freshly elected president? Is this yes. uh, fair? And yes. decided, well, I'm going to do a uh, sort of run through. Of course, we're talking about what, 1789, correct? Right. right. Um, and he's just going to visit the, the colonies, or at least they're no longer the colonies. They're now the United States. Was it the United States of America? What was the initial? Yeah, it was, it was the United States, but you know, it was not. They were basically 13 independent states. Uh, two of the states had not even uh, ratified the Constitution, Rhode Island and North Carolina, so had not participated in his election. There were political divisions, uh, those who supported the Constitution and the strong federal government it created, and those who distrusted that strong central government, who felt the power should remain with the states. And so Washington said, I've got to do something to create a sense of nationhood, of national unity. So he went, decided I'm, he, was, he was an immensely popular figure. He was gonna use that popularity to try to unify this country. And so he set out on a series of road trips that would take him as far north as Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and as far south as Savannah, Georgia. And you know, your book uh, covers it so well because you really get the feeling that uh, you know, you, you get a sense of, I think, I think most of us, and I'm just speaking for myself, uh, think of Washington as, as a very abstract. You don't because you've written about it um, quite, quite extensively. But I think the average person thinks of Washington as a, as a you know, a figure on a dollar bill, uh, father of a country, uh, cherry tree, wooden teeth. I mean, yep. you, you can run through the, the sort of stereotypes, but you really give him some color in this book. Um, I love the fact that he loves his white horse Prescott, you know, yeah. just this little things and, and a great farmer, uh, really into farming that I don't think I ever realized. I, I think we had Mount Vernon and all that, but you, you really get the extensive sense of, of this guy was more, you know, was quite an individual. And now take us back to the tour that he did. This was not easy for him because, I mean, he was facing some physical problems, his teeth, eating. Right. Um, just, just, I mean, people might discount that, but it, it was a real thing. No, he was, you know, he, this was a man who had spent his life on the move. Um, whether it was as an army officer or a plantation owner, he would spend six hours a day on horseback inspecting his, you know, a plantation of thousands of acres. But when he became president, he was suddenly stuck in the, his office. 
uh, not getting the exercise, and he began to have all of these health problems. Uh, he almost died within a month of taking office of, of a, a carbuncle on his leg. He would um, get the flu and um, almost almost die uh, a little less than a year later. And he realized, you know, the the pressures, uh, the lack of exercise might very well kill me. Um, and what he saw these tours as a way to get out of the office, you know, to leave that intense pressure behind and make himself more accessible to the people. And so he, whenever Congress would go into recess, he'd go on these, these tours. And what they did was they, they, they got him out of the office. They, they saved his life literally, but I think they also saved this country because if he hadn't gotten out there, you know, this is before mass media, before you could get on the TV and, you know, and get your message across, you had to go there. And, um, and so he visited all these towns and villages and cities and people began to realize once they saw Washington in the flesh, that they were now part of something bigger than all that. They were part of the United States of America. I noticed in some of the reviews of your book, uh, very positive ones, I should mention, uh, the fact that Washington slept here is, is used as a, as a touchstone, uh, which, you know, a phrase we all know, uh, but it was true. I mean, he slept in a lot of places that, you know, not necessarily the grandest mansion in, in, the, in the area. He, he stayed wherever. Yeah, well, he, he made a point uh, in that when he uh, started out with his New England tour, he said, I am not going to stay in private residences. I'm not, there are going to be no favorites on this tour. I'm going to stay in public taverns. You know, today we think of a, a, a historic tavern as perhaps a and b that serves you waffles in the morning. In the late 18th century, uh, these were the roadside motels of their day. The beds were terrible, often flea infested. The, the uh, food was even worse, but Washington was making a point. I am the president of the United States, but I am also one of you. I am of the people. And he didn't enjoy it. I mean, thank God there wasn't TripAdvisor because um, in his diary, he records typically, you know, beds terrible, food worse, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Two stars. Uh, right, <laughs> if that. Um, you know, so it's, but it's, you know, you, you begin to see that, yes, he is the president. Uh, he is the general, but he is also a traveler, a human being who is trying, you know, who is putting himself through quite an ordeal. You know, he's not traveling in Air Force One. He's traveling in a horse-drawn carriage um, and uh, over terrible roads. And, you know, in some instances, the tavern keepers wouldn't even let him in. They didn't recognize him. And so he would have to move on, even though night was approaching. And so, you know, this is this is not the presidency that, you know, the overwhelming uh, office that we have today. This is something that's just beginning. We're talking with Nathaniel Philbrick, author of Travels with George, and that's George Washington, whose tour in 1789 is is covered very uh, in, in a very fascinating fashion in a book that, um, you know, I think, Nathaniel, if I can, the, the, the one thing I would encourage listeners to uh, take up your book is if people are sometimes a little leery of history, oh, I don't want to read about George, they should read this book because you bring it right to the present. You're talking about your wife, your dog, the very many historical experts you meet on en route. You, you hook up with a lot of folks. You mentioned names. Um, so it's it's all about, you know, recreating this thing. And I, I go back to just one part of your book here. Um, you're talking about and you don't make a big point of this, but you touch on it. 
the Washington's dental issues uh, because yeah. they were considerable. And there's a thing in here, and I think you credit Mary Thompson uh, with the research on this, that he actually used the teeth from slaves in his own mouth, uh, tra- yeah, like as a transplant. Right. Uh, dental transplants were an emerging, you know, a new technique um, in the late 18th century. And there's there evidence has been uncovered uh, that uh, in the year after his return uh, from the revolution, his teeth were agonizing for him. And um, he was he only had a few in his head. But there was this new thing of of two of where you would someone you'd pay someone enough to donate their healthy tooth and then insert that in your jaw in hopes that it would be, become transplanted and, and, and stay. It almost never happened. Uh, but there's evidence that Washington assembled a, a group of his enslaved workers. He paid them something, but not the going rate. And uh, their teeth were extracted and um, uh, placed in his own jaws, uh, which is, you know, a, a very tough scenario to contemplate. But one I felt that, hey, you know, we have to look at Washington warts and all here. Um, this is, this is you know, when it comes to Washington and, and slavery, uh, this is touching issues that are still as, uh, you know, red hot today as they've ever been. And, um, and so I, I, I look at Washington in all his humanity. And inevitably, I don't care who you were or are, uh, no one um, uh, is perfect by any means, nor was Washington. That doesn't mean he, he accomplished things that uh, this country will forever be in his debt. But that also means he was a man of his time, someone who became a slaveholder at age 11. And yet by the time um, uh, of his death, he had uh, in his will had freed his enslaved workers. He was someone who was, you know, who, who was, had this tortured complex relationship uh, with the institution of slavery. And I think it mirrors the, uh, where we are today as a, in our attempts to, to come to terms with the beginnings of this country. Uh, Nathaniel Philbrick, you write in, in this book, all I can say, and this is right after you talked about Washington extracting teeth and so forth. All I can say is that the past is not a pretty place, nor I need remind you is the present. And we move on um, because obviously this does come to the, to the present. On slavery, and I guess we, we're using a prism of uh, 200 years, 200 and some years, uh, it was it was pretty well accepted, uh, but but wh- how, what was the division? I mean, did did Washington have advisors telling him, "Come on, now we got to we got to get on this slavery issue"? Or what, what was he hearing? Yeah, what he was hearing is that the slavery issue should be um, you know put under the the rug at this point because the you know the the, the what he was trying to do was create a sense of union, and if slavery was brought to the fore at the very beginning. Uh, the, the Union would fracture into s- Southern and Northern. Uh, Washington had come to recognize that slavery was anathema, that, it, you know, that the Union could not lo- long endure if uh, slavery uh, was to exist. He was, you know, personally, he was intertwined with it, uh, but uh, politically, um, you know, I, I, ideologically, he realized that slavery was wrong. And he was overheard um, during the second term as president as saying, if slavery should ever divide this nation, I will go with the northern part, which is kind of an extraordinary statement coming from a Virginian. But uh, this was, I think, what Washington is this 
interesting, complex, tortured figure when it comes to this institution. And I, I think um, uh, you know, it's important to look at him and all his complexity to uh, begin to grapple with where we've come from as a nation. Nathaniel Philbrick, you have written, besides this book, Travels with George, many others. I think, is this the third in a, in a, in a sequence on Revolutionary War? Or, or... It's actually the, the fourth. I, you know, the fourth. I wrote three books about the revolution. Right. But right. Uh, after that, I really wanted to change it up. I wanted to do a different kind of book. I wanted to uh, get out of my office and see this country. And so thus was born the idea of like John Steinbeck, uh, follow, you know, getting out on the road uh, with, in this instance, with my wife, Melissa, and our dog, Dora, and following Washington's uh, footsteps as he tried to unite this country. And so um, it's a change of, it's a different kind of book for me. But I, you know, by after the, after those three books about the revolution, I just wanted to know where Washington was going next. And so this was <laughs> a way to do that. Uh, but, you know, without getting too pandemic, too, I think we can take our ser- our history too seriously at times, right. and I. But I. That doesn't mean that you 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 belittle these issues. But no. you know, it's uh, uh, there's there's all human behavior is intrinsically absurd. I found in my life, and there's nothing like traveling with your dog um, <laughs> to, <laughs> to keep that absurd absurdity alive. Let me tell you. Oh, that sounds great. Uh, I have to ask you, as as an expert on the Revolutionary War. Um, because you know, obviously that's Washington, you said his great popularity stemmed from his leadership. Was, was that a remarkable performance? I mean, we, we have to give him credit on so many fronts. Uh, as a military tactician, I mean, how do you look at what Washington did? Because some of us who, I'm, I'm sorry, have not read all your books and, and aren't knowledgeable enough, we hear about f- the French involvement, the British involvement, How do you go back and sort of make sense out of the Revolutionary War with Washington? Yeah, I think the war was something he didn't necessarily win. He endured. Uh, I don't think there was another person on the planet that could have stood as commander in chief of the Continental Army in a country that was in complete disarray, trying to fight the most powerful military nation on Earth. Uh, Washington lost more battles than he won, but through his sheer force of character, was able to endure all these setbacks and hang in there. Um, you know, he had to negotiate. Once the French came in, which is a great uh, uh, thing for America, they had their own agenda. And so he endured three frustrating years trying to work with them. Finally, they, you know, they came through with their fleet uh, emerging at the Chesapeake, allowing the victory at Yorktown. But it was it was tough for Washington. And, you you know, a portrait of him comes. He's not a great military leader. Yeah, he is a great military leader, but he's he's not the traditional you know, military leader we think about. He is as much a, a political genius as he is a great uh, military leader. His ability to figure out in, in the bedlam of the moment, what is the most important thing to focus on? Uh, and in the revolution, he realized it was fighting a defensive war of not losing your army, not, you know, not necessarily winning, but enduring. And that's how he won the revolution. And then when he became president, uh, he realized it was the union. If, if the union could be formed, uh, uh, there was hope for a future of a country that ultimately 
uh, could be true to the ideals with which it began in the Declaration of Independence, that all of us are created equal. And uh, those are certainly uh, thoughts we need to reconsider <laughs> at present, because it's yes. always always a challenge. One, one quick question before I let you go, Nathaniel. What was the French agenda? What did they want out of yes. their, their partnership with the, U, the U.S.? They wanted to cripple England. Uh, yeah, it would be great if America became a new nation, but what was their most important agenda item was taking it to Great Britain. And so um, almost immediately when they joined the revolution, the war moved not from uh, North America, but to the Caribbean, where all the money was with the sugar plantations. And so it took Washington three years to convince them to start focusing on something that pertained to the American Revolution. Very good. Well, Nathaniel Philbrick, author of Travels with George, we thank you so much for a fascinating book. And uh, we look forward to what's your what's your next tour? You're going to do uh, another change up or uh, yeah. what, what's on your agenda? Uh, the, the California gold rush. Um, ah. uh, I, I want to head west. Uh, you know, they traveled by land and they traveled by sea. Uh, and then there is what was going on in California in that tumultuous decade. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Will Dora make the trip? Uh, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> we will see. Thanks again, Nathaniel. Take care now. It's been great to talk to you. Bye now. Bye.